So this week, after reading this scripture, I've given a lot of thought to the jobs I've had in life and uh, what my fathers and my grandfathers did for a living growing up and my parents and those around me. And it drew me back to a time in my early childhood. And I didn't realize it at the time because I was a child, you know, and our parents are, are, um, are, are they know everything, you might say, and, and they've, they've seen it all and they've done it all as a child. But looking back, when my dad was in his early 20s and I was a child, it was time to him to uh, find a vocation in life. And so many of us, after we graduate high school and we enter into the workforce, we, we, we continue to ask, well, what are we going to do for the rest of our lives? What are we going to make our living at? And at that time that I'm speaking of this morning, my dad worked in a factory. But he knew that he needed and wanted to pick up a trade that would make him... Um, it would make it easier for him to find a job, to make it a competitive job skill, if you will, to make him a desirable to a potential employer. So he started to attend Bowling Green State Votech School, which was here in Bowling Green. And in fact, about 20 years after this time that I'm talking about, I too would graduate from that very same school with my own vocational skill. But I remember him working on his homework at night. And if I recall, I didn't confirm this with mom, so I'll ask you later, mom. Um, I think my dad was working third shift at the time, going to school during the day, and I remember him sitting at home doing his homework in between work and whatever rest he got. And then when he started to choose that vocation, there were a lot of potential directions to go, and one of those at the time that you could make a pretty good living was that of being a typewriter repair professional. And he once told me many years later that he seriously considered becoming a typewriter repairman. And it paid really good, but instead, and wisely, he chose to be a tool maker. And I say wisely because at that very same time, on the other end of the United States, there were a couple of people busy in their garage, and they were building what would be known to the rest of the world as a personal computer. Bill Gates and Steve Jobs are two names that perhaps come to mind for you. And it would be only a few years after they developed their PC in their garage, these two nameless folks would change the world. And pretty soon, those typewriters that were in offices and in homes would be replaced by keyboards. Typing ribbon would be replaced by ink cartridges. Floppy disk would replace a lot of the paper in the cabinet work our cabinet needs that we have to file things. Typewriter repair professionals became IT professionals. The world changed in a pretty short amount of time. And my dad was glad he chose otherwise. Otherwise, he would have been changing careers pretty much as soon as he got started. Even so, computerized machinery developed. And toward the end of my dad's working career, computer machinery was replacing manual machinery. And those like my dad had to learn a whole new way of doing what they did. Being a toolmaker was, I consider, a, not just a trade, but it was, a, it was an artisan's work. And it was being replaced, and it was a difficult transition. Now, I say that because life kind of does that to us at times, right? Change is always a challenge, especially when it comes to our occupations and that for which we make a living and support our families. My dad didn't work for his own glory. He worked to provide for families. And we all understand that. We all 
don't mind change. I think, in fact, I think we value change, except when it comes to challenging those and disrupting those things in our lives. We all like to learn new things. But it's hard to set aside things that we are familiar with and things that we know or that give life meaning to us. And it seems to me that it, life never really does provide for us a moment where we, we have fully graduated, right? Throughout our lives, we are compelled to become students time and again. It happens when we face things like new roles or careers or jobs, but it's more than that. We become students during life's transitions from uh, adolescence to adulthood. We transition and have to learn a way of life when children come to our, into our lives and our homes. When we're widowed or empty nested, everything changes, it feels like. We face physical abilities that are challenged because of illness or, or simple aging, and, and then we have to adjust again. So we're always graduating, it seems, into a new way of learning. And it happens as a church, too. The church and its people have grown up across so many different geographic areas and cultures, political forces, and world events. For 2,000-plus years, God's people have existed in remarkably diverse realities and we have had to change many times into many new circumstances. And our history shows that we must always be ready to adapt and readapt, to, to, to learn and relearn. And that seems to be a consistent truth. But it's never easy, is it? And who knows what changes are ahead of us that this pandemic is revealing. What will life be like on the other side of this? Now today, Jesus is calling some fishermen away from what they do and what they're doing in that very moment. And he's asking them to learn a new way. They will always and still be fishermen by trade, and we'll see them go back to that work in the scriptures. But how they fish and what they fish for is in question today. The only way of fishing they had known had included throwing nets into the water and repairing them, sailing boats into the water and repairing those boats, catching fish and selling them at the market. But in this rather abrupt moment, Jesus shows up and says, okay, drop what you're doing, follow me, and I've got something new to teach you. But what I don't think Jesus means to say here is that they're going to become altogether different. I like the passage or the translation that Kyle used in children moment this morning because I think that's a fair read of what's being said. Verse 17, as we heard it this morning, said, follow me and I will make you fish for people. But in other translations, which I think get it a little bit better, we read, come follow me and I'll show you how to fish for people. In other words, I'm going to build on what you know and show you and teach you something new. And this reminds me that following Jesus, it's always more than just do as I say. That's not who Christ is or was. We have a lot of teachers among us, I know it, and you already get this. You know that to truly teach a child, you must tap into their giftedness, inspire them with things that they love, and empower them 
to take that education and do something meaningful with it. Taskmasters, they don't care about such things. Taskmaster, a taskmaster says, get the job done because that's what's important. Christ was not a taskmaster and he said as much when he said, take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I'm humble and I'm gentle at heart and you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. So no, following Christ is never about blind faith or simple obedience. It's about being changed, taught. Following Christ is always about setting off on some new way of life and knowing full well that that first step, you have no idea what you're doing or stepping into. But you know that as you step into that way of life that Christ will be with you, yoked with you, to teach and guide you along the way. Now in the weeks and the months and the years ahead, these disciples will prove to you and me that they learned a lot. On the day of Pentecost, they will sit in that upper room and they will wait and they will pray faithfully for the coming of the Spirit. And following that, they will organize the early church and they will give birth to the thing that we call the church and it's why we're here today. And the day was coming when a a man named Paul would approach them one who had been zealously against them, and saying to these disciples, hey, you're going to need to broaden your idea about who belongs in the kingdom because the Gentiles, they're having a hard way of finding themselves to be fully included in things. And so you, church, you're going to need to think. You're going to need to reimagine if you're going to include these folks. Now, before all these things, now, these disciples, they had learned from some, well, some some hard lessons and some failures along the way. Pride often led them to argue over which one of them they thought was more important to God. A man came to them once saying his son was ill, and he knew that Jesus had been teaching them how to heal folks, but they couldn't do it. And so the man goes to Jesus and says, hey, they can't heal my son. And Jesus says, it's because you like faith, folks, that you can't do what I've called you to do. There were more than a few moments, some of them embarrassing for these fishermen, that were failures. But they never disqualified them. Failures became lessons. Failures became a way to be equipped for the next time something came along. Oh, how often would we, how often could we benefit from remembering that our failures, our mistakes, they can teach us and they don't have to disqualify us and we we don't have to disqualify one another. When we look at the scriptures like we have today, we might think that this passage is telling us that we must change everything that we know that we need to take up a new ministry career even, that we have to follow, leave behind what we do and and really follow Jesus fully. It might make us even feel like what we do for a living or what we do in life is somehow less important than that of others in comparison to those who are religious leaders or these disciples that somehow because I'm not like that, I'm less than. Let's not so narrowly define our calling 
Because I don't think the Bible, I don't think this passage is concerned about what vocation or what office we hold in life. Don't get me wrong, you may have a call to ministry. I understand that. If you do, let me know. But there, there's another kind of calling I want to focus on today. Because what I believe this message is for us today is to do what you do. Do it your best. But remember, that thing that you do, that thing that you do for your living, it is not the most important thing. Our calling is to belong first and foremost to Christ. Our calling is that we can impact the world in all that we do. The change today that we're called to step into is not about what we do, where we do it from. It's about who we belong to and what we belong to. We belong to Christ. We belong to God's kingdom and to God's transforming of the world. A man named Michael Rognus, whom I will paraphrase lightly, says this. Everyone has a station in life probably several stations in how society functions, but they all include our call to follow Christ. Every job that works to build up and maintain society is a calling. Teacher, CEO, insurance salesman, car mechanic, lawyer, toolmaker, farmer, politician, we all belong to Christ. We have callings within families as well as parents, as children, as aunts, as uncles, as grandparents. And whatever office or whatever vocation we hold, we're called to remember that we belong to Christ in that work. Now, I was young when my grandfather passed away. He passed away too soon for me to ever remember having a conversation with him or to really know what he looked like in person. Um, So some of what I want to reflect on this morning about his life is really based on my curiosity still to this day, all these years later. And what I can tell you is my grandfather was a farmer. Now, I understand that that didn't mean he always wanted to be a farmer. Don't get me wrong. He was like any of us. We all wonder what we're going to do and what we really want to do. And sometimes that changes, but there was a time in his life that he chose to do something different. An opportunity came along and he took it. And what I'm referring to is way back in the day, they started to build Interstate 65 that goes through our county, much of our state, and a good part of our nation. And as a farmer, he had the skills to drive heavy heavy machinery and operate things like bulldozers and trucks. So he used what skills he knew to go and do something he'd never done before. And became something, part of something, perhaps bigger than he'd ever been a part of before. Maybe he did this because it paid better. Maybe he did this because he really didn't want to farm for a while. Maybe it was a little bit of both. I really don't know. But sometimes when I drive down the interstate, I I see those places in the walls where you can see they've blown the rocks out, and I wonder, did he haul some of that rock away? Did he help with that? And then sometimes if I'm on I-65 a long way, I think, man, this was a big project. And my grandfather had some small part in this, and it contributes, and it changed the world, this interstate, in a lot of ways. And I think this is important for me and for us today. I hope it is, at least. 
Because I think the good news is that whatever we do, when we remember that we're called by Christ and that we belong to God's kingdom, that we're always part of something bigger. We all have a hand in our places and from our offices and from our vocations to shape lives and shape the world, if we will. Jesus took these disciples from fishing and he took them to communities and places where people were forgotten, ignored, and often to the detriment of their health and well-being. Jesus took them places and taught them how to feed the hungry, visit those who were in prison, to heal the sick, to speak for the voiceless, and to forgive those who had sinned. He showed them that greatness in God's kingdom is defined by a willingness to love one another, to forgive one another, and to wash one another's feet. And in those places and in those lessons, he taught them that this changes life for the better. And the starting point is always to remember that you belong to Christ and Christ's ways of love. Now we've got to be honest. Sometimes we might be tempted to look into the job one edge, right? <laughs> Sometimes we might begin to think, well, maybe it's better over there. We can be tempted to seek out occupations or vocations or locations in life that, well, we think that might make our life more rewarding and more important. There are days when we look around and we say, you know, there might be places in the world where people are easier to live with and easier to love than those that Christ has put in front of me today. It's hard sometimes. It's mundane sometimes to be a Christian. But don't forget, we are always a part of something more enduring and eternal. And if any of this rings true for you today, remember today's story. Because at the end of the day, this really is about people. This really is about our relationships. Jesus didn't call them away from being fishermen. He called them to a deeper understanding, into a deeper understanding of what it meant to fish for people. He taught them and he teaches us today that it's always about people. I'm thankful for my father's efforts to raise me and provide, my grandfather's means to provide for me. I'm thankful for the church that provides for us. I'm thankful for you who serve the church to make it what it is. But whatever we do, may we do it all, in all that we are, in all the places we reside, may we live out our call. And may we do it for the sake of one another. May we do it for the sake of God's kingdom. Thanks be to God. Amen.